0: We've been going through the book of Second Corinthians, and we're at Second Corinthians five, twelve through twenty-one. Uh, Noah read that just a second ago, and I don't have—I didn't think of a title before I put this uh, PowerPoint together, but—and I, I don't think I was assigned a title. If it wasn't, I didn't read it. So uh, the title I would give it now is probably "Living for Christ" or "Living a Life for Christ," which is why I DB picked this song. And as we go through this passage, we'll see—we'll uh, see Paul. Explaining what a life for Christ looks like. And I apologize, I'm going to have to use the notes on my phone because that printer's acting up. It's not my fault. (laughs) So when you go in there and see it's broken, it's not my fault. (laughs) No, I didn't break it, hopefully. Um, But we'll go through this passage and we'll see what Paul uh, describes, or what I think Paul was describing as a life lived for Christ. And we'll start off reading verses 12 and 13 again. And uh, if you'll remember... I guess to recap a little bit, last time we talked about uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we talked about uh, you know, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men and all that stuff, you know, going and persuading men, uh, love of Christ, uh, persuading us to go do that. So, he start, picks up again in verse 12. It says, "...for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you." So this was uh, him talking about those people, you know. All throughout the book of Second Corinthians, so far that we've talked about, I've noticed that there's this pattern of Paul, uh, discredi- uh, Paul calling out the people that are discrediting Paul. You know, back then people were uh, invading the church, saying Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, Paul's doing this and that. You know, Paul shouldn't be trusted. That kind of a thing. But in these verses, he's saying again, he's saying uh, he has to defend himself. He said, "Look." I'm not telling you all these things so, you can, you know, so I can pat myself on the back to you guys. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm giving you an opportunity to boast on our behalf. And what he's saying is I'm giving you a chance and I'm giving you an explanation to tell those people that are discrediting myself and the rest of the apostles this is what they're actually doing. So you know what's going on and they actually don't. You know, They boast in appearance but not in heart. They don't understand. But I'm, letting, I'm giving you a chance to understand is basically what he's saying. And then he closes uh, this part of the passage with, "For we are bes- if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. And basically saying, everything I do is for God and for the church. That's basically what he's saying. If I'm beside myself, which several people, even Festus said, Paul, you're beside yourself, you know, you're, you're out of your mind, you're crazy. He's saying, if I am, it's because of God, it's for God. And if I'm, if I'm sober, if I'm a sound mind, it's for, for the church, it's for God. So that's basically what he's saying in these two verses. And I just wanted to quickly go over that because uh, it's something that we've talked about uh, extensively throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. So then he continues on and he talks about uh, living a life for Christ. And he, and he talks about why he does this, why he does everything for God and for Christ and why he lives a uh, life for Christ. So we'll start in Verse 14. Says, for the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Now, this first part of this verse is amazing to me. For the love of Christ compels us. Now, to be compelled by something, thats that's a really strong way to say it motivates me. You know, it compels me. You know, this he's not the only apostle to have said something like this. Acts chapter four and verse nineteen said, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. This is a uh, an example of someone being what was the word, compelled by Christ. This was an example of them saying, we cannot but speak the truth. We can't but do God's will. We can't but live a life for Christ because of the things that we've seen and heard. So that's what Paul was saying, that the love of Christ completely compels him. He can't but speak the love of Christ. Uh, Romans 2 and verse 2. actually, I was going to edit that out, but there we go. Matthew twenty verse 28 said, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. And this is, uh, I was going to explain uh, the love of Christ, why it compels Him, because the Son of Man, you know, the Son of God, Jesus Himself came down to earth. You know, if anyone had the right to boast in Himself, to be proud, to be the complete opposite of what Jesus was, it was Jesus. If anyone had the right to come down into Uh, be served. If anyone had the right to be king of all the world, it would be Jesus. But he came down and he served. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. To die for everyone. And that's what compelled Paul. That love that Christ would come down and humble himself so much. That love that he would give his life a ransom for many. That love compelled Paul and the rest of the apostles. And it should be what compels us now and should be what compels us to have a life for Christ. Hebrews 2 and verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. It's just reiterating, He was humbled, but even lower than the angels. He lowered Himself to that point. You know, he was at the top, and He lowered Himself to below the angels, so that He could come down and suffer and die, because He loved you and He loved me. And that's what Paul said compelled him. That love that someone would come down and die for him. Do you have a friend that you know for sure would die for you? Do you Are you a friend that you would for sure die for your friend? That's a love for somebody. And wouldn't that love compel you to do many things for this person that would compel you to live, you know, to loving them as much as they loved you? Would it not? You would die for each other. and That's what he's saying here. He's saying, the love of Christ compelled me to live a life for Christ because Christ lived a life to die for me. Is, not the li- is that not the life that Christ has called us to live, to live a life that we would be willing to die for Him? So that's part of living a life for Christ, is being compelled by the love of Christ, being compelled by the death of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, back in 2 Corinthians, it says, "...and He died for all that those who live should, no longer, should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again." Now, this is the hard part. We've got to stop living for ourselves and live for Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means we let go of our selfish desires. We let go of the things that we want in this world. We let go of all those things that make us happy for a moment. And we live a life for Christ, who died for us. Luke fourteen verse thirty three says, "So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he all that he has, cannot be my disciple." Forsake all that you have. If you have, uh, if you have someone in your life that's keeping you from living a life for Christ, forsake it. If you have something in your job, if your job is keeping you from leaving or leading a life for Christ, forsake it. Whoever does not forsake All that he has cannot be my disciple. 1 John 2 verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Or of the world. So we have to let go of the things that we want the uh, lust of the flesh. We have to let go of the things that we see and that we desire, the lust of the eyes. We have to let go of our selfishness and our putting ourselves first. You hear the, a lot of that in the world now. You know, self-love. You, know, you have to love yourself before all else. But what he says is, don't love yourself, love God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves himself, the love of the Father is not in him. That's something I hate hearing on TV and radio and all that. Is you have to love yourself. You have to love yourself. I hate hearing that because if you love yourself more than anything else, uh, there's not any fulfillment in that. Anyway, get off that tangent soapbox for a minute and get on this soapbox. Um, so instead of following our fleshly desires and our selfish desires, we have to follow God's desires. Matthew 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. We have to deny what we want. We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Jesus carried a cross all the way to Golgotha. It's not that hard for us to take up our cross. Just putting that out there. But hard part is letting go of everything else. John, 1 John 2, verse 17 And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. There's nothing in this world that's going to last forever. There's nothing in this world that we could possibly want, no cars, uh, no people, no relationships. None of that will last forever except he who does the will of God. That abides forever. That's the life worth living. The life for Christ is a life worth living because it, in the end, it's the only thing that lasts. Somehow I got off my notes. 1 Peter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, and he, and he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. This is saying, if you've put on Christ, the life of this flesh should be behind you. The life of the flesh should be behind you. No longer live in that for the rest of this time in the flesh. It doesn't last, so leave it behind. (laughs) Leave behind your fleshly desires and uh, live for the will of God, basically. And that's part of living a life for Christ, is living not for yourself, but for God. And back to 2 Corinthians. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, part of living a life for Christ, I believe uh, the way I worded this uh, section right here is looking at people through Christ's eyes. You know, when you think about what, when how Christ looked at people, he didn't look at people and see uh, deformities, sins, and uh, colors, races. He didn't see that. He saw people that needed help. Colossians three and verse eleven says, "Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythians, slave or free, but Christ is all." and in all. When we look at people through the eyes of Christ, we no longer see these things. We no longer see Greek or Jew. We no longer see circumcised, uncircumcised. We no longer see outsiders. We no longer see different religious backgrounds. We no longer see different racial backgrounds. All we see is someone who needs help because Christ is all and in all. Christ didn't care if He was talking to the Samaritan woman or he was talking to some Jewish priest. It was someone who needed help. We have to look at people the same way if we want to live a life for Christ. John 3, and verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this is especially important for those who have become part of the church. I think there's two groups of people in this world that we should be concerned with. Those who are in the church and those who are not. That's the only two groups that matter in this world. And in this group, those who are in the church, we have to let go of all the things that they've done in the past. All their pastly, or not pastly, that's not a word. All their past sins, all their past mistakes. Uh, I bring up this verse because it says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you've been put in the church of Christ, if you've been put in the church of God, and you're part of the church, basically, I don't know why I said that three times, but if you're part of the church, you've been born again. Now why is this point here? Because when you think of a baby... What is the, some of the words that you come up with? Yeah, cute, adorable, you know. But one of the words that, I, that comes up when you talk about baby is innocent. They're innocent. Done no wrong. Can't do any wrong. So when we've been born again, we're innocent. All those past sins, all those past mistakes, they're gone in the sight of God. So, the, so when we see someone who's been born again, we shouldn't look at their past mistakes. We shouldn't look at what they used to do. Now we see someone who's been born again. An infant, an innocent. So that's what living a life for Christ is. It's seeing through Christ's eyes. If you've been saved, Christ sees you as a new creature. God sees you as a new creature. Brand new. So we have to look at each other through Christ's eyes. Luke 15 verse 24 says, For this is, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. And this was part of the the... the parable of the prodigal son. You know, he went off and he did all kinds of evil and riotous things. He wasted all of his money. And when he was at the lowest point of his life, he went back to his father expecting him to be disappointed, expecting him to make him, or not make him, but he was expecting to live in the servant's house, to be a servant to his father. And his father said, you were dead and you're alive again. You were lost and you're found. You're completely different now. You're brand new. I don't see those past mistakes anymore. So we shouldn't look at the past mistakes of others who have been put into the church. No matter who they are. Well, the notes on my phone are not working, so I'm just going to put that down. Uh, Back in 2 Corinthians, this uh, next to last last section I want to talk about, verses 18 through 21. We'll go back into one of the verses in a minute. But... Basically, 18 through the rest of the passage says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is a really important point that Paul was making here that Christ has reconciled us. If we live a life for Christ, we've been reconciled. So Christ saved us. He knew no sin and He came to be sin for us that so we may become righteousness. And a couple of points to iterate on that, if that's even a word. Colossians 1 verse 20 says, "...and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross." Now, that verse made peace through the blood of His cross. That's talking about peace between us and with God. The only thing keeping us from having peace with us and God is our sin. And Christ came down and He reconciled us to Himself. Therefore, that sin is gone and now we have peace with God. Acts 13 verse 39 says, By Him, everyone who believes is justified from all things, from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. Through Christ we're justified. Look, If you look at the law of Moses, it's kind of long, but if you look through Exodus and Leviticus and all that, there's no way we can be reconciled by that law. In order to be reconciled by that law, we have to follow every single law never break any one of them, or we have to offer sacrifices, and then still try to never break any one of them. Now, we try not to break laws now, but we've been reconciled. We've been saved. All that stuff is gone. We've been justified from all things because Christ came down, because His love allowed us to be saved. So, then going back in 2 Corinthians 5, one more point I want to make off this passage. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Now, one of the key components of living a life for Christ is being ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a messenger, is a person that... that, uh, (coughs) Relays information, I guess, between two different countries. For us, it's relaying information between Christ and the rest of the world. We are the ambassadors for Christ. Mark 16, verse 15 and 16 says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. We've been given a mission as ambassadors for Christ to go to all the world and to preach the gospel. And it's a part of living a life for Christ is to do what He says, and what He says is to preach the Gospel to everyone, to everyone that will listen, to every creature. Luke 10 and verse 16 says, "...He who hears you, hears Me. He who rejects you, rejects Me. And he who rejects Me, rejects him who sent Me." That's what it means to be an ambassador, is you speak on behalf of somebody else. He who hears you, hears Me. If you want people to hear the words of Jesus Christ, you have to tell them. You have to relay that information to them just as an ambassador, just as a messenger. We are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ because we desire to live a life for Christ. That's what I had on this passage. I hope it helped you in some way. Um, If you have a need at the church at this time, I ask you to please uh, let us know. If you need to rededicate your life for Christ or you need to start a life for Christ, this is the time to let us know as we stand and sing this invitation song has been selected.